bum, bum, he's back. Bum, bum, he's back. Bum, bum, he's back. But a but but get a pop for that thing and dance to you, see Danny. Get a pop for that thing and dance to you, see. Hey, see, and here I thought you were talking about Tom Brady. I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. I'm not sure anyone here knows who it is. They kept cutting to an American. I assumed it was Dunseth. I had no idea. We still don't know. And what is a goat anyway? There's no way of knowing. But this is the Week in the Tackle podcast. I'm Tom Rennie. Great to have you back with me. And also great to have back with us here in the Week in the Tackle family is the legendary master of Dunsethery himself, (laughs) the hair-pinching, eyeball-gouging MLS legend, Brian Dunseth is back. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be back with you, man. I've missed you. I've missed, uh, I've missed the fantastic people, the show that listen, that have reached out, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram and messaging and whatever form of, uh, of, of conversations that uh, people have sent to me over the last couple of weeks. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for holding down the fort. Thank you for allowing me and my family the time needed in at least this short three-week window to kind of deal with the loss of our my mother-in-law, my wife's mother. Uh, some horrifying stuff, devastating stuff for the family, mm. but I feel like we're trying to put one foot in front of the other, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we can continue to just, you know, acknowledge across the board that it's okay not to be okay at times, and you know, ultimately it's, it's okay to reach out for help and it's okay to look for help because I think a lot of the times we act like, uh, everything's fantastic. Everything's great. We're the best human beings in the world. And then we shut everything down for a second. We realize we're not okay. We got some mm. issues we need to sort out. So appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate the patience with you guys, uh, for covering me for the last couple of weeks. And, uh, I'm really, really excited to be back. And I'm just going to say flat out, man, you know, Kawinky dink that Manchester United wins and uh, I'm coming back to the show after oh. seeing some of your videos over the last couple of weeks. The worst thing about um, this from a show perspective is that <laughs> last week when I mean we missed you obviously and lo- lovely yeah. words you said there and we missed you on the show uh, and we missed you on Sirius XMFC and everything it. as well it's great Thank to have you, you back um, but to be honest I thought you were taking the piss last week <laughs> because when City routed United, I thought, oh, I it was wait. so bad. It was I so can't bad. wait to get back on the show. I can't wait to see Daddy. Yeah. And then I was, in, I was in the pub with the great John Anderson, our friend from Premier League Live, yeah. and John's wife. So we went to the Watford game last week. And then I went to the pub with John and his wife, both lovely, but both like the same person. It was just an excellent, <laughs> excellent couple of hours uh, in a pub in Watford. And I came away thinking, oh, I wrote so many notes for this show. I can't wait to get on. I was like, oh. He's not here again. Oh, okay. He's not here. Fire me. It's a great guest last week and all that sort of stuff. And then we got the text on uh, Saturday from Danny saying, right, I'm back. I'm doing the show just as Ronaldo scored his third. <laughs> and do you know what? I just, I just think it's unfair. It's unfair that the world <laughs> missed out on you last week. I think yeah. it's unfair that happened. So I think maybe we should do last week's show now and then do this week's show next week. Mm just so everyone could get that pure joy of what would have been a tremendous breakdown uh, on last week. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go into our WhatsApp and here's Tom. When I, I said, I'm back. And I used some curse words to make everybody laugh, hopefully. And Tom Sorry, Tim. responded, wasn't available last week when United were. Shit. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> Ronaldo scores a hat trick, huh? And you can't get back fast enough. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not calling you a liar. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think that um, you just didn't want to do the show last week. To be honest, I'm not it happy. Was, it was suspect. It was suspect. Yes. I got to be honest with you. I was not uh, heartbroken over not recording last week, nor showing up on Counterattack because of what I was going to face uh, in terms of um, the dunsethery of the listeners. So no. I appreciate coming back and... Uh, Man, we got drama. Oof, oh. We got drama. We got ego. You know, we got there those is so that are much. holier than thou when it there comes so to the morality much. of life. There is so much um, that we've got to get through on today's show, which we will. Before we get into all that, that stuff, and I think we should start with Chelsea, and we'll talk about Ronaldo and that American he shook hands with. Not a clue. Um, <laughs> but I did want to mention this. Last show you did with us, the night before you, we were going to record the show, I don't know yeah. if you can see on my background here, this big yellow shirt behind me. Mm. The Columbus Crew jersey arrived since you were last with us. After a year-long journey, Yeah, this year's jersey arrived. Now, I got a text from Dunny. I'm bringing people behind the curtain here. I got a text <laughs> from Dunny saying, I'm sending you something in the mail Yeah, a few days before it came. Yep. And I didn't know what it was, and I'm excited to see what it was, but then... You had obviously your issues, so you couldn't do the show. And this came, and I didn't want to text you about something trivial about this, this shirt arriving. So I didn't raise it and didn't bring it up. But Tim and I were speculating on why this arrived. Because last year with Columbus, I was doing a lot of back and forth about the shirt not arriving, some tax issues, UPS, blah, blah, blah. It suddenly arrived, and we thought, oh, it must be from Dunny, because you do stuff with the crew. You played there. You've been at kit launches and stuff with them. So we were like, oh, this must be the thing that Danny has sent. But this is not from you. You nope, didn't send this. Nope, not from me. And and I appreciate, I appreciate that our friendship has evolved into the stage in which you are receiving a package in the post and saying, Danny, what a great guy. <laughs> we did. Yeah, it's amazing. And you start opening up the box and then you're like, oh, is it from no, it wasn't for me. The package that I thought was being delivered to you should have been delivered to you already, probably. And I did say, okay, it's going to be there Monday. I got confirmation from from Tyler Gibbons or Giblets, as we call him, that your your post was in the mail and you were going to get a brand new Real Salt Lake jersey. So the drama has been transferred from Columbus, and then Sporting Kansas City showed up, and still Columbus not showing up to now Columbus showing up, which is a, a great banana kit. Banana kit is oh, one of my yeah. favorites. Uh, and then waiting for now the Real Salt Lake kit. But you've got the banana kit and the banana hammock. So yes. Tom Rainey on vacation is going to be looking sharp wherever the family goes next. Not many shows could segue from banana hammocks to the war in Ukraine, but that's the show you're listening to right now. Um, let's talk about Chelsea and let's talk about the... What should we say? Despicable spectacle oh. of watching Chelsea play Newcastle this weekend. First of all, the game was atrocious. That's enough on the game. Secondly, um, <laughs> the situation at, at Chelsea and, 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 and the Saudi Arabia thing, the public investment fund, Newcastle. Um, I think we should talk about that. Maybe not today because we're going to do a bit on Chelsea here. But, but I, I, there's a couple of things about Chelsea. Firstly, look, I understand how difficult it is for some of these supporters to separate, you know, church and state, to separate the owner and the joy they have had. A lot of these fans coming out. I saw Jason Cundy on Talk Sport doing some roving reporting stuff and Cundy's a big Chelsea man. And, you know, fans are saying, why are the club being punished? You know, what's it got to do with the club? And I just keep thinking, look, guys, did you enjoy those Champions Leagues? Did you think Didier Drogba was there for the goodness of his heart? 
Mm. You know, all this sort of stuff. I just think you can't separate these two things. Um, Abramovich was able to, let's say, wash the money of Russia and steal the natural resource of the Russian people into his various businesses, invested it into London because that's where the money could come out clean. Okay, we can put it that way. Oligarchs earn because Putin allows it. He is one of the most famous, if not the most famous oligarch. Uh, and they were given incredibly preferable deals and rates and breaks because Putin allowed it. Why did he allow it? Most observers believe it's because half of it is now Putin's money that he holds. OK, so that's where we are. And I understand football fan ignorance and I understand some of it is selective because why not? That's what football is all about. My scarf is meant to be so tight. It doesn't flow blood to my brain. That's how I can come on here the day after Cavani's onside and tell him he was offside because that's what this is about. But this is not that. Mm. And to see, we're a few days on now as well. I can see maybe the initial shock of it all, the willful ignorance. I can see all that. But I think we're beyond that now. And there was one fan that had a Chelsea, don't use Chelsea for your bull politics forever. Chelsea, the Roman Empire flag was still Mm. up inside Stamford Bridge sanctioned by the UK government because of his assistance to Putin in the war in Ukraine. You know, some Chelsea fan outside speaking to Jason Cundy that I was referring to on the TalkSport Twitter handle, if you want to watch it, saying, I feel like we've been treated unjustly. You know, I just think that there comes a point where Chelsea fans are going to have to have a reckoning about what's happened to them. And I appreciate it's happened to them. They had almost no say in this. I know Chelsea fans who stopped going when this man took over the club because we knew who he was. We all have known tacitly who um, this man is, Roman Abramovich, for 20 years. We've known what an oligarch is for longer than that. But we've turned a blind eye. There was no legal sanction. And what were fans going to do? I get that. But we're not there now. And so you have to say, look, I did enjoy it, but now it's been revealed who he is. I'll be glad when he's gone. And Chelsea, as his property, 100% should be punished. And if that affects the fans, I can't help but feel that you know, it's rough with the smooth, right? They were happy to enjoy those Champions League finals and World Super Cups bought exclusively by this man for them. But now he's being punished. They're like, nothing to do with me. Yeah. And I, I'm not fully formed in this opinion yet, Danny. I know you, you've been away, so you missed a lot of this story. But at the moment, he got sanctioned by the UK government. I think Chelsea fans needed to condemn him and the club are still not saying war in Ukraine. And they're still not saying Russia the aggressor because they're still 100% owned by an oligarch who is a steel and energy magnate who has essentially funded Putin. And, you know, what, what's, what's your view on the, on the way Chelsea fans have been reacting to this over the last week or so? Yeah, so f- for me, you know, I, I stayed off Twitter um, for the last three weeks for my mental health and my sanity and the things that I was dealing with. But I wasn't naive as to what was happening, and I was reading the news. And immediately started thinking about kind of the sporting side. And we have kind of this morality clause, right? Where everybody sits there and kind of understands what what is right and what is wrong. And I guess it kind of is all dependent upon, I don't know, the the echo chamber we find ourselves operating in. And in a lot of ways, we 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 operate whether we're talking about, you know, politically, morality wise, in this echo chamber of people who have like-minded opinions. As I'm watching this play out, um, 
I start thinking about obviously the football side of things, you know, the war with Russia and Ukraine, and I'm not even going to call it a war, but it, it is a war. It's Russia invading Ukraine, right? So what kind of effect does that now have on the sporting realm? not just soccer, but sports in general. And we saw immediately the start of the backlash and the sanctions and how this was all going to, I don't know, essentially play out in real time. But then I started stepping back and thinking of from a football perspective. And I've got Chelsea friends, friends that are, that are supporters of Chelsea here stateside that are all in on the team and will back the team no matter what. The ups and downs, the highs and lows, winning the Premier League, not qualifying for Champions League, winning Champions League, not qualifying. The, you know, We do this thing where we can separate. We can separate the footballing side from the ownership or from the money, and we just think about what the investment looks like and what the opportunity looks like and what the players look like and what on the field within the course of the 90 minutes between those white lines we are, we're living and dying by, by these teams. The difficulty, and I, w- I, would, I would throw this on all of us, is recognizing that all of these owners in the Premier League, their hands are dirty in one way or another. None of us, none of us as football fans, are recognizing what the Glazers are doing or the Abramoviches are doing or what's happening at Newcastle or what's happening at West Ham or what's happening at Liverpool. All these guys have made their money in some aspect. And I I don't know a billionaire that has clean hands. So when I'm looking at it from this perspective, I'm thinking about football fans that think about the game. As I've watched this, Tom, the the stumbling block for me is, yes, Abramovich, Chelsea, and how complicated that becomes for everybody involved, right? Immediately. And Thomas Tuchel just getting chucked questions left and right and trying to figure out how to how to verbalize this minefield in front of him right now. And we saw this with Eddie Howe yesterday, right, post-match. Some managers do it better than others. But ultimately, Tom, I, I, I think it's, it's the, the what is going to continue to transpire for a club like Chelsea will be, in a way, devastating for fans. And yet, you're going to have a group that is incredibly defiant as to what happens because they're just going to give the double birds and say, it doesn't matter. We're here. We're going to support Abramovich till we die, blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't even know the right way to end this Tom because it's not even close that what we're going to potentially, what we could potentially see is just an outright fire sale. What we do know, Christensen, uh, we know Rudiger, we know who as Pilaqueta, guys like that. They're effectively gone. What's going to happen with Thomas Tuchel at the end of the season? Could potentially this group of players find themselves within the next two months in even a, a, a deeper, you know, deeper, deeper circumstances than they already are in terms of just yeah. the playing side because of what's going to be coming down? I saw Peter Check, Peter Check, do his interview talking mm. about day to day. Watching Emma day to day. This is, I, I, I don't. Maybe you can remember this. I don't remember a situation like this in real time where a club in a matter of weeks, in a matter of what, four weeks, five weeks, mm. have gone from being one of the most powerful clubs in the Premier League, potentially in the world, to now all of a sudden having such a, a, a significant unknown future heading for them immediately. 
no, I mean, I was thinking about some comparisons. You know, there was a few years ago. I mean, there is a West Ham comparison. West Ham was bought by a Icelandic billionaire, Bjorn Golfer Goodmanson, back in 2000 and let's say six, 2005-6 era. And then there was the world financial crash. And mm -hmm. he went from one of the richest men in Europe to bankrupt in 24, 24 hours. And we went from, it's going to be a great, bright future. Look, we were never Chelsea level at that point. Mm -hmm. But we went from that to, you know, I was with Anton Ferdinand a couple of weeks ago and he was sold behind the manager's back because the club was going under. And they told, and Alan Kerbishy then sued for constructive dismissal um, because he was told that he wouldn't be sold. He was sold because West Ham were going bust. And they, they were keeping it all under wraps and selling people as much as they could. So it's broadly similar. But look, it's not similar in a way that the reason this man is, is losing the football club isn't because of poor financial decisions. He's done it because he has been a facilitator of Vladimir Putin, who is an evil, evil man. And he has facilitated him for his entire professional life and has essentially and publicly admitted in open court that they have taken money from Russia and essentially laundered it through London to bring it out clean again so it can be respent in London. Natural resource of Russia has been stolen by the oligarchs and invested elsewhere so that money can be spent clean in other countries. And in London, there is almost no unexplained wealth orders. Mm. And so the daughter of Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, can buy a £4 million house in London and nobody asks where the money came from. Almost no other country in the world, certainly the civilised world, would operate in that way. And that's why we live in London, Grad, and that's why he bought Chelsea. And Roman doesn't love the club, fans at Norwich last week. Roman had bought the club to make money, and he did it to make reputation. He did it so fans, you know, you want sports washing in action? There's a war in Ukraine. The reports are that steel funded by Abramovich went into making the tanks that are currently on the streets outside Kiev and a bloke wrapped in a Chelsea scarf says, Oh no, he's a lovely bloke. He's a great guy. Look what he's done for the Chelsea up the Chelsea. Hmm. You want to know what sports washing is? We just explained it. And that's what it is. And to your other point, we won't do too much more on this, but it's worth saying that Chelsea fans shouldn't worry. It is absolutely right. They were an institution in England for 97 years before Abramovich took over. And that's the reason they've been given a special license by the government to operate whilst the other assets have been frozen, even though they gave him two weeks notice to start shuffling his money out of the UK. We hear that his yacht is currently speeding away from Europe as fast as it possibly can. So it can't be seized by the authorities. Why they allow that to happen? We'll save that for the news channels. I have my views. Um, but Chelsea Football Club will be sold to another billionaire. There's talk of this guy, Nick Candy, who's a big Chelsea fan. There's talk of uh, if he takes over, giving fans this golden share like they have in Germany to veto certain decisions. Yeah. And it might give some of those fans that found the previous ownership distasteful a say in what happens next. That'd be fantastic. Somebody will buy Chelsea. Somebody will own Chelsea. Somebody will love and invest in Chelsea. But... I will finish and say that Chelsea fans need to come to terms with what happened. And I'm afraid you can separate them in terms of, I love the club, I don't like the owner, as many people have for various reasons, yeah. but you can't separate the success from Abramovich and you can't separate what Abramovich is, I'm afraid. You've got to come to terms with it. And mm. I would say publicly distance yourself from it, not say... What a great guy up the Chelsea. Oh, we just did a bit on, on 
what's happening at Chelsea. But I did just want to touch on Andre Yarmolenko briefly. Oh, um, what a moment. What a moment. Now, I was meant to be at the game. I was frustrated, actually. I was meant to be there, but for some work issues, I had to had to be in the studio, um, unfortunately, so I couldn't make the game. I'm going on Thursday, though. Um, <laughs> but I have some friends that were there, and you would have heard it on the commentary as well. I'll be the first to say I'm not the biggest fan of Andre Yarmolenko as a footballer. Well, well established. I think that's a well-established thing <laughs> yes, here. Uh, yes. I don't think he is worth the money paid, and I don't like mm. him as a player. So before we get the tweets, what a hypocrite Tom Rennie is, that's out in the open right now. I don't want Andre Yarmolenko in the West Ham squad next season on a purely football basis. Parked. He came on at the weekend. And Andrei Yarmolenko, great story by Andrei Shevchenko, actually, was on Sky Sports News a couple, maybe last week or so. And he said that when Yarmolenko was given the compassionate leave by West Ham to um, deal with whatever because of the situation in Ukraine, his family were in Ukraine. And they got to the border. I believe Shevchenko said it was his, uh, Yarmolenko's wife and son were in Ukraine. They got to the boat, the border with Poland. Yarmolenko flew from London to Poland to get his family mm. and fly them back to England. So there's some context as to what Andrei Yarmolenko yeah. has been going through. He, he was a star player in Kiev for a decade. Yeah. Um, is the Ukrainian captain, and I believe record caps holder. You know, So this is a man who is Ukraine to a lot of Ukrainian people, certainly football fans. And he went to Poland, got his wife, came back to England and came on at the weekend. It's fair to say things have been going great for him on the field for a couple mm. of years. Yarmolenko, bad form. Yeah. I think he's not really that bothered about West Ham, whatever. But he came on. And again, bear in mind that unpopularity he has with the support base as a footballer. Huge ovation. Huge ovation from the West Ham support and Aston Villa support. Yep. He then scores the goal. And... Tremendous goal, vintage Yarmolenko. What we technique. expect from Yarmolenko. Oh, technique was extraordinary. Yeah. Many flaws, but technically, there are a few left feet better than his currently playing in, in the Premier League. Great goal, breaks down in tears on the field, hugged by the West Ham players. I know that, um, well, David Moyes said that Lucas Fabianski has been very close to Yarmolenko the last couple of weeks, Polish international, and has been helping with his, kind of get his wife to England and stuff, hugged him afterwards. When he scored, cheered for the goal, number one, applauded by the West Ham fans, number two, standing ovation from the Aston Villa fans mm. who had just seen their team concede a goal yeah. to Andre Yarmolenko. It was um, great. I thought it was a great, great moment. And it just kind of shows you where we are at the moment. And again, there were further debates to be had. We're not doing this with... Um, people from Yemen with what's happening with Saudi Arabia. I know that the world is... A, hypocritical and horrible place. But in this particular moment, in this particular game, yeah. in this particular war, that was great, I thought. Humanity, right? Humanity. I, I, I was sat in my house on the couch watching it, and uh, you know they, they showed the picture of him and on the bench and, and the images of him sitting there in his, in his warm-up top and his jacket on. And with Mikel Antonio going down and obviously – the 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 bench not as strong as one expected after the January window um, and where West Ham currently are with the idea of qualifying for Europe once again that would Yarmolenko be involved well he had to be because there's really nobody else right you, you went with Fredericks and who else was on the bench Diop and a couple other guys that discretionary at best so 
when he comes on uh, the applause, you know, the warm up to the applause to walking up to the board, going up from the fourth official to stepping on the field. And then he's got a superb left foot. He really does. And, and that technique of trapping it quickly with his right and then quickly little, little half cocked finish um, taking it well with his laces. It, it was fantastic. And then, I just think about the emotion of it. And, and I think you did such a great job kind of explaining what he's gone through. I mean, think about it. You're married with child. I, I'm married with, with three children. And in a moment like that, you know, as, as a footballer, everything happens so quickly in real time. When I go back to my playing career, there's times where, you know, I, like, what did I just do? How did I get out of that? And then all of a sudden you realize kind of the moment and the intensity of the moment and what that moment means. This had everything to do with football, but nothing to do with football. And as as a husband, thinking about my wife not being in the house with me, being in a foreign country, or being back home, um, and a war breaking out, and all you're thinking about consumed with is getting to them, getting them out, getting them to safety. And that's just kind of the primary goal, but thinking about the relatives, the, 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 the cousins, the friends, the extended family that's involved. This is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. My, my, my sister who was just in town, her husband, uh, Bosnian Serbian went through the war. Mm. Um, father and brother were separated from mom and himself. And over the course of a year, it took them through three different countries to get to the United States to be reunited. And having heard those stories, I just think about all the refugees right now, all the Ukrainian people, and not just Ukrainian people, across the board that, that are suffering in the midst of this. And so to just see that moment, that, that, that goal, incredible goal, incredible goal, but to see the fans and the fans, and again, you're right, there's so many things that are happening in the world, but this is so front and center right now. To see him break down and see the fans applaud, I, I got to be honest with you, as, as emotional as I am right now with everything that's happening with my family, I, I think about in his situation, how do you even continue playing? Yeah. But, and at the same time, Tom, being on the field and playing football is probably the two hours of an outlet where he doesn't have to think about it and be consumed with what's happening at home. So extraordinary stuff. It, it really is a, a bigger context in terms of sport a huge goal because of what it means right now for West Ham and where they're at right now. And yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary moment for a guy who, as you said, is, is, is so tied with not only the football side of Ukraine, but you know, the, the leadership and athletes speaking up um, for everything that's transpiring over the last couple of weeks. That is a massive story, obviously, but uh, it's worth, whilst we're on West Ham, to mention what a massive win that was for West Ham in the Huge. context of the season. Yeah. Because, I mean, they lost Antonio to injury, which has been the, the biggest fear of the entire campaign. The squad is so embarrassingly thin. Mm. It's so embarrassingly thin. And yet and here, they, here are. they are, yeah. competing with these clubs that are up there. Yeah. But they've got maybe 11 fit players. Sevilla is Thursday, the biggest European game they've had since 1981. Mm. With all respect to Yarmolenko, he is not an adequate replacement. And then Aaron Cresswell got injured too. Mm. And I thought the job that Declan Rice did on Coutinho has probably been the best player in the league for the last four or five weeks. Took him out of the game. Um, the work Ben Rama did, who's had a rough time since coming back from AFCON, it now in place in the team of Jarrah Bowen, who's been West Ham's best player. 
the performance of Kurt Zuma, again, with all the cat-kicking controversy. Uh, he's been incredible um, over the last five, six weeks as a player. Lucas Fabianski made some tremendous saves. Oh, Villa are probably the save down to in his the life. league. God, I mean, it? at that point, it's nil-nil as well. Yeah. And he's 36, yeah. Fabianski. And that's why Ariola can't get in the Premier League team, because Fabianski is just up in it, still, still showing how good he is. Hmm. Huge win, but despite all that, and we're going to talk Arsenal next, who are the team who are going to make fourth. But despite all of that, I'm still so annoyed that they brought no one in in January. With the game, <laughs> with the game on Thursday, this is the disaster scenario. And David Moyes has said, we're going to play this team week in, week out. It's the best team, which is what Arsenal are doing, but they've got less competitions to play in. They've played significantly yep. less games this yep, season. Yep, 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 yep. You know, Arsenal have followed the West Ham model in many ways, and that's why it's been so successful for them. But he said, if it runs aground, it runs aground. And it was always going to run aground with Sevilla. And what a tough game that was on Thursday in Seville. Good result. Lost, but a good result. Then a game against Aston Villa, one of the form teams in the country. Then Sevilla again. And then Tottenham next Sunday. Mm. That was the pinch point where it was going to run aground. That was the pinch point you needed to play. You know, you need to sign someone crap like Josh King to play against Aston Villa at the weekend instead of Antonio. Yeah. You needed to sign someone who could fill in at left back, someone who could replace Declan Rice for a game. That was the game you needed the subs, needed the rotation. He doesn't have it. He didn't have it. And that may well cost them on Thursday in a game that with the first team against Sevilla, I think they could win it. With the team they're going to put out, that might be that. And that'd be a real shame. Let's talk a bit about Arsenal because they are now favourites to make the Champions League. They're in the Champions League positions. They've got multiple games in hand on those around them. But I wanted to ask you this because I didn't... Kevin Hatchell was doing the commentary for us on Premier League Live, Sirius XMFC at the weekend. One of the best, by the way. Kevin Hatchell does the Bundesliga, the Premier League. Sensational commentator. That's just an aside. Make sure you're following his work. Um, but he said something in the commentary which I'd totally forgotten. And I've been saying some nice things about Arsenal recently. <laughs> To the point where Piers Morgan was, um, we were having a Twitter exchange. Yeah. How many followers you get off that, by the way? Nothing. (laughs) I got more off an innocuous tweet about Kurt Zuma and the Watford fans singing about the cat, a tweet that got 100,000 likes, which was very fun. Um, But he basically, I said, I think Arteta's a good manager. He was saying, get Thomas Tuchel in. I think, no, Arteta's done great. Cleared out the dead wood. You know, he's been so lucky in a way this year. No European football for the first time in 30-odd years, 25 years. Out of the Cups early doors. Gets his first 11 and can play that first 11 week in, week out. I think this weekend was the fourth game in a row that played the same first team. But Kevin said something to me, and I wanted to get your take on it. I've been talking about them like they're plucky underdogs, like they're Watford. Yeah. Last summer, they were the biggest spending club in European football. Have we been getting Arsenal all wrong? Should they have been fourth all season long? Well, co- complicated. Um, let, let me pull back. I, I, <laughs> I disagree with almost anything that Piers Morgan tweets about. So I think you and I are both in agreement with, with regards to Mikel Arteta. Now, listen, Arteta has had a learning curve in the fact that he has a philosophical idea of how he wants the game to be played much like Pep Guardiola, but he was uh, what the, the, the counter argument to all of that was, 
Well, are you incredibly intelligent with the way that you're building the squad as you're dumping players left and right who don't ethically, morality, football-wise, play your style of football, play the game, or handle or conduct yourself accordingly, both on and off the field? Or are you a bit naive because you are so adamant about playing this way? He's proved us all wrong, and, and I hold my hand up. Um, to your point about spend, I do think we forgot about it because for a long time this season, this group was mid-table. And then you throw in the controversy about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You think about Lacazette at the end of his contract. You think about Enketia at the end of his contract. And Thomas Partey was nowhere near the player that he was at Atletico Madrid. Nowhere near. And the dumb red cards and yellow cards that this team continued to take that would shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over. Um, and then the COVID outbreak and rescheduling of matches. And as you said, I mean, they, they have... Th- two to three games on those around. I think it's, yeah, three games on on Manchester United in hand, and they set a point above them. The, the analogy that I would use is it's much like the past couple of Premier League title for Chelsea was that they weren't in European competition. They had a bad season. They were mid-table the year before. They, they, were, they, they were completely focused. Mm. Not on Europa League, not on Champions League, on just the Premier League. And that's what the benefit has been for Arteta. Yeah, you've got the Gummy Bear Cup, you've got the FA Cup, blah, 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 blah. Those, do they matter? Do they not matter? It depends on the circumstances of the fan base and the club and where expectations are. But they've done the business and they've been consistent and they've figured out ways to grind out results. And right now, the, the, the signing of Aaron Ramsdale looks genius absolutely genius because you see brendan rogers after that save i did what would he have said uh he would have pulled out his notepad (laughs) for fuck's sake what have i done wrong once again sorry oh i'm so sorry tim (laughs) i'm sorry tim i'm not gonna say for fuck's sake anymore tim i'm sorry so (laughs) it's been a while (laughs) sorry sorry tim it's been a while um so yeah, I I don't I don't necessarily like their squad, but I like Tierney. Sorry, I can't even carry it. <laughs> <laughs> I like Ramsdale. I like oh, Tierney. I missed that impression so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <clears throat> uh, um, oh. But yeah, you know, oh. I I'm intrigued to see what they do. I'm yeah. I'm really intrigued to see what they do because if they continue in this mode of just knocking out results and 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 they've got liverpool away at aston villa away at palace home against brighton at southampton man united at home away at west ham leeds at newcastle home against everton some tough games in there some tough there, ones. There, there, there's some tricky ones right there's some speed bumps but in the form that they're in there's nothing to suggest with those games in hand that they shouldn't end up in a champions league spot and yeah. to be quite honest it would be a travesty if they don't end up in champions league based on the amount of games in hand, which could come back to haunt them because of this squad right now. But with the form that they're in and being able to bring on Smith Rowe or bring on a Nicholas Pepe and those type of players, I would assume that they've got enough in the back pocket to qualify for champ. And that opens up a, a, a different realm because you're talking about London, you're talking about Arsenal, you're talking about Champions League money. Mm. And maybe everybody was right all along, despite all of our publicly doubting uh, Mikel Arteta and company. 
I mean, a couple of bits on this. Firstly, no one ever thought Arsenal were getting relegated. OK, we, we did some fun shows in mm. September on Sirius XMFC about could Arsenal go down? Nobody put a single dollar on that happening. Nobody thought it was going <laughs> to happen. They've never been relegated. They're never going to get relegated unless something catastrophic happens to the club. No one thought it. So all those people now, hey, guys, I'm doing your impression. Hey, guys, I thought you guys said that Arsenal were going to get relegated. Oh, my God. You must be so embarrassed right now. Like, no. <laughs> burst. No, I'm burst. <laughs> it, it, no, no one thought they were going down, you mugs. Okay, we were just having a conversation about it because it's a 24-hour chat soccer network and they'd lost some games, but nobody ever thought they were going to go down. So park mm. that. Um I wonder what it's like now moving forward. Liverpool on Wednesday, I'm going to the game. Real excited about going to the game. Um, what it's like now, they're favourites. I don't think they've been favourites until today to make the Champions League, even with those games in hand. I agree. I think the wins, I think the way they won at Watford last week, the way they won against Leicester. I think they are now so big in terms of favourites. I actually think they should now be competing with Chelsea for third. Hmm. That's how far ahead they are to me, of everyone else, the way they have been. But that's the first time this season with 12 games to go, with other teams having maybe nine games to go, eight games to go. That makes Danny things very different, doesn't it? They're now not chasing teams down. They're going to spend the entire time looking over their shoulder from now. That's different. Yeah, and, and those two games in hand, right? The, the two games in hand that they have on Chelsea would put them at 57 points. That's two points off Chelsea. And I know Chelsea's in a great run of form and in terms of what Liverpool and that Man City hiccup and Man City and Liverpool facing each other, that this, <laughs> I, I, I am now interested to see what the pressure looks like because of those games in hand. I, I listen, I, I agree with you. They, they should be, they should be champions league. So uh, yeah. we'll see. I think the only, the only team that has a chance is Manchester United and they have consistently proven how inconsistent they are. Yeah. Um, and these last, you know, three matches, four matches have shown the depth in which they have to uh, figure things out in uh, this summer because they are so far off of what the top four really should look like. Let's talk Manchester United and oh Cristiano Ronaldo scoring a hat trick. I was mm. working on that game for Sirius XMFC at the weekend, uh, which was it was super fun. It's super fun <laughs> game of football. Like two two clubs who are very flawed oh yeah they're flawed yeah. but they're also so filled to the brim with talent and those three ronaldo goals i mean i sometimes commentary i love doing play-by-play -play commentary sometimes it really works out and this weekend it worked out for a couple of goals the first one i was harry kane had just done something and i would just my co-commentator paul parker had said something and i was like this is the game for the big names, there's Harry Kane and Ronaldo. Oh, and here is Ronaldo, and he scored again, which never works out like that. <laughs> and a bit later when he scores the hat-trick goal, and he obviously did the Bischan record as well, more goals in FIFA-recognized competitions than any player ever beating Joseph Bischan's record, which was set between the 1930s and 1957, I think, if memory serves. So incredible record, 800 and... I, I under nine. I mean, it's ludicrous the amount of goals he has scored. More than some clubs have scored, I think, in the last decade. Incredible. Um, but then the, the third goal was 
They never score from corners. They've only done it once this season. But all it takes is one good delivery. And here's Alex Tellez. That is a good delivery. It's Ronaldo. <laughs> Twice in the same game. Doesn't work out that way usually. Um, but talk to me about Ronaldo because I mentioned in the, in the goal call as well that despite his flaws at this stage in his career, yeah. he is still better than everybody else at Manchester United. I would agree with that. Um, in a game like this, I think that 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 analogy um, and that view holds, the opinion holds. I will continue to hold on to the idea of if we could run a real-time simulation about what this group would have looked like without Cristiano Ronaldo versus what this group looks like with Cristiano. Um, I know there's a ton of debate. Look at the goals that he scored, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's, he's a poacher. He's a finisher. He's a phenomenal player. No doubt but he has transformed the way that this team plays positively and negatively. Uh, what's on the field and what's off the field inside the training room and inside the locker room with the manager or the relationship that he desires to have um, with the manager in games like this. There's no doubt. Listen, he is world-class in that first hit with the way that he strikes the ball, the technique, the power, the movement, the accuracy, that shot from behind, when you see him turn, pivot, get his head up, recognize, whop, there's nothing Hugo Lloris can do about it. His ability physically at this level is absurd. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. We talk about players at 28, 29, starting to slow down a little bit. Theoretically, the body can't play at such a high level. And what he's done to turn that body into an absolute physical unit and to still be competing at this level is extraordinary, right? It, it is extraordinary. So what does he mean short-term? Well, games like this will never, ever hurt his legacy. That's for sure. Um, I'll go bigger picture. I, I still think with this team, with this group, the leaks coming out of the locker room, Paul Pogba's trainer, Cristiano's buddy, whatever it looks like, it, it, it's... There's so many bigger issues at this club than Cristiano Ronaldo, but on a night like that, man, he proved that he can still do it. And yeah. you're right. It was a phenomenal game. Back and forth, wide open at times, game slowing down, game speeding up, guys yelling at each other, guys crunching each other, the managers on the sideline, fist pumping and thinking that they scored a goal, but the flag being raised. It very easily could have gone wrong for Manchester United, but tip of the cap to Cristiano Ronaldo. He was uh, mm. three phenomenal goals. And I'm glad people enjoyed it because he ain't going to stick around for the Europa League. And then not, that's what you're yeah. in next season. Yeah. Arsenal are going to make fourth. You won't catch the other three. And it's a battle. But And, and again, we did West Ham earlier. I know we'll do Wolves hopefully in a second if there's time. But for Wolves and West Ham to be competing with Ronaldo and Arsenal is massive spend. Incredible. Um, Ronaldo this week. I've got so many questions for you. Uh, Ronaldo this week took a shower on Instagram. Uh, 670,000 people watched it live. Um, have you watched it yet? Will you watch it? I can tell you I'm one of the 670,000 people that did not watch it. Um, right, I'm going to okay. choose not to. Um, I'm gonna, it's I'm tremendous. Gonna you, I'm going to give you a hard pass. outside, and it's, um, it's, a, it's a hot watch. Oh, is it? Yeah. Like, why? Made me want to take a shower. Oh. <laughs> hot shower? Cold shower? I'm not going to put that on Instagram live, though. Okay. That, that's what uh, we could do on Twitter Spaces. We could do a shower chat. Yeah. Um, that could discussing... be our new feature. We should do as a preview for this podcast, Shower Chat. Shower <laughs> Chat be our thing. Tom Rennie. 
<laughs> welcome to the shower chat and we open the door and we're just like come on in yeah we're just like hey welcome <laughs> to the program cristiano ronaldo's great you could open oh. the door and be like as brendan rogers why don't you listen to the show <laughs> that'd be amazing it's good to see you cristiano <laughs> do you want to come in and i'm, I'm actually doing oh no yeah right. no no don't do that um, mustache a question but i'm shaving it for me bolt the door if you're coming in uh <laughs> um but um but Tom Brady was there. I hear he plays the catch. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, he's a celebrity or something or other. Yeah, the handball. Two uh, great he was heads there. of lettuce, by the way. Yeah, for their for their age. I mean, yeah. that's that tremendous hair, yeah. haircuts. Mm. But, but he was there, and well, firstly, we have another. We have a podcast here with SiriusXM, Tom Brady's show. And when he retired, he didn't reveal it on his own podcast. Mm. <laughs> Which let me tell you, we were delighted about on the SiriusXM platform. Um, but it turns out the reason he didn't do it is it was all a lie. He saw mm. Ronaldo score a hat-trick and changed his mind. Was this a publicity stunt? Uh, man, I, I saw the tweet, like, here for a hurricane goal, but supporting Manchester United. And that's obviously for those that are putting this all together. The Glazers, Tampa Bay, Buccaneers, Manchester United. That's why he's in town. Uh, had... I think a kid with him. I'm not sure how many kids were with him, but he. Oh, I think was... the whole family was there. Okay. I think it was the wife, and there was a, a shot of uh, I don't know how many kids he's got or who his wife is, but it was a wife back of a red, and there was like three or four kids wearing okay. Brady and his number at Tampa. Hmm. I think. I think. I'm not sure. Don't at me on that. Was his, the number he's going to have, which was the big yeah. un- unveil, whatever. Okay. Cool. Not um, bad for me on NFL, actually. I'm quite impressed by this. Yeah. Tim's uh, face is stunned. He's stunned at my knowledge here. <laughs> stunned. Well, Tim's also a Ravens fan. So, um, that's true. Yeah. I, what does it mean? I don't know. Whatever. I don't care about Tom Brady. I'm not Fine. a big Tom Brady guy. Good. He's going back. He's changed his mind. He's, he's, he, he, his time in the stands isn't there yet. I mean, listen, for, for anybody that plays any type of sport, the reality is as long as you can you play as long as you can yeah and, they, and then and then you don't play anymore and he's in a specialized position that at his age he can get away with so yeah because he plays a sport where you either run into someone else and you don't ever touch the ball or you throw it a bit and do nothing else for the entire game it's stupid <laughs> let's talk about jesse marsh um and leeds united because oh you killed him last week why are we so aggressive no, we didn't kill him. Yeah, last you week. did. did you say? murdered him say? last week. No, we didn't. You we, were no, calling we... him Ted Lasso, no, and making fun of him because he, he had an on the field huddle. We've Why got are you hating we, him. We've got to move on from that because of this week sentiment. No, it's not true. I'm not true. I don't agree with our friend Tony Miola, and uh, I'm not in the same room as him, so I can say it. I don't agree with that. But what he did last week was super Ted Lasso. That was believe in believe. That's what it was. That doesn't fly. In the Do same you believe way, that he doesn't know who Ted Lasso is? Not a chance. He's not seen the entire series. Now we know he's a liar. So that's oh, okay. two. That's mm. two, Jesse. One more, and you're out. That's another American <laughs> sport. What don't I know about American sports? The sticky mm. one. Um, but that was a bit stupid last week. I think he learned a lesson from that. And it's the same way that Jurgen Klopp, I mentioned on last week's show, when they got that draw against West Brom and did the kind of lift up to the stands yeah, thing. Yeah. They yeah. haven't done that again. Because it's culturally we think, different. Yeah. yeah it's culturally think, different. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. It's f***ing stupid. Okay. So we we don't do that here. Blah, blah, blah. It's on last week's show. Listen again. It's all there if you want to hear my rant on that. This week, 
Uh, firstly, a lot of the noises from Leeds about Jesse Marsh have been incredibly positive and not just believe in believe. I mean, actually positive because of not only does he bring the Bielsa um, attacking nature, but he's actually a bit of a thinker on the game. Like he's mm. actually got tactics yep. and Bielsa has one tactic, whereas Jesse Marsh has brought something known as variation to the tactics, which we saw against Norwich. They were just hell for leather in the game, which mm. was, again, if you want to know how exciting a relegation battle can be, watch the last five minutes of Leeds Norwich this weekend. Um, blimey O trousers, Billy O Johnson. That's the stuff right there. It's so good. Great when you're not in it as well, let me tell you. I've been in hmm. it, and it's great when you're not in it. <laughs> but um, they score, Rodrigo, then uh, McLean leveled it up on 91. When that goal goes in, here's Jesse Marsh. Here's him as a coach. I thought it was great. What a lot of managers do, and, and I, you know, my, my take on David Moyes, very different now to what it would have been two years ago. David Moyes there at 1-1 brings on a defender. Mm. He brings on Issa Diop for West Ham, and he says, right, 1-1, we'll take the point. Let's stop them winning. Let's not crumble here. We need a point on the board. My first point on the board. Jesse Marsh went, okay, I ain't having that. He's a cockney, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I'm not having that, guys. <laughs> I don't know who he is there. That's actually not a bad Jesse. That actually isn't good. a bad Jesse. I'm not having this, guys. Hey, yeah. get up, boy. Yeah. And it's Joe Gelhart, who's like 19, who's got a great go at Stanford Bridge earlier in this season. I mm -hmm. think he's so good, he's actually in my fantasy football team. I think he's a real talent, this kid. Um, he brings him on after conceding to go all-out attack in yeah. additional time. Yeah. That's crazy. Talk about things that don't fly. That don't usually fly over here. Well, Gelhart <laughs> wins the header from the high yeah. ball. Beats a centre half to it. He's like five for eight, and Ben Gibson, the centre half, is like six two, six three. Rafinha then goes around the goalkeeper, goes a bit wide, knocks it back in. Who's there? The teenager, the local lad who's just been brought on by the manager. Mm. Risky move to win it. That was incredible. And the moment Jesse Marsh landed at Leeds, and a moment that might get him safe in the end. So, going uh, let, let let's go to the to the goal that was scored for for North City when um, McLean scored. Utter disappointment, right? Fans, hand in head, here we go again, all of that. The, they showed on the television here in, in, in the American, well, we'll call it the American broadcast, if you will, on NBC Sports or Peacock, whatever it was. They showed Jesse, because we have two ways. We're either watching on TV, but now it's USA. It's not even Yeah, any, no, you seemed NBC a bit sport. like you didn't even want to bother explaining that to people. I, uh, it's, it's complicated. You, you suffered, it's, yeah. It's it's pay to play. That's, we're all paying to play at this point. Yep. Um so watching Jesse physically watch the goal, not react, pragmatic, turn to his assistants, make the change. He's made the decision after watching the goal conceded and gets him on Gilhart in. And it pays off, what, a minute and a half later, something like yeah. that. So you go from a game that should have been killed off, a game that's not killed off, a game that ultimately looks like two points dropped and Norwich in desperate need of points right now. And then all of a sudden turning focused, not allowing the emotion of the game get to him, make the change immediately. And within two minutes, it pays off. Mm -hmm. Now, is he a genius? I, I don't, I don't know, but is he a good soccer coach? I can absolutely attest to it. And, and I'll explain my point of view with Jesse. I played against Jesse growing up in, in MLS. I joined the league in 97. Jesse was one of the originals. He was at DC United, went to Chicago. He is a perennial winner. 
I couldn't stand playing against Jesse. He never would shut the fuck up. Sorry, Tim. He always had something to say. He was always moaning at the referee, at the players. He always had something to say. But he was a defensive midfielder, super clean on the ball, and was one of those guys that you hated playing against, but you loved playing with. I spent some time with him near the end of his career when he was at Chivas USA, a short time, and then I got to know him uh, more and more when he retired and he followed Bob Bradley into the U.S. men's national team. And he was underneath that umbrella as an assistant coach, and he had a bigger and bigger role. He went to Montreal, became the first coach for Joey Saputo up in Montreal Impact, was given a year, Saputo sacked him. They made a terrible decision. And then little by little, Jesse started doing some some pundit stuff for MLS and then got the New York Red Bulls job. Really tough situation because he followed up one of the most iconic player coaches in New York Red Bulls history. That was a guy named Mike Pecky. Pecky was pushed out. Jesse comes in. Jesse not only verbalized the transition publicly, but became an iconic coach for New York Red Bulls because of the style of play and how he played. In the midst of that, he was going over to Europe and getting his UEFA licensing. Mid-season, when the team's trying to win, he ends up going to become the assistant with Ralph Ragnick at RB Leipzig. He learns German, gets the opportunity to take over Red Bull Salzburg, learns Austrian. He can bop in and out of a couple different languages. Remember, he had Erling Holland, He had Minamino. He had all of those players. Uh, Shobislai. Um, and now, after a huge hiccup at RB Leipzig, where everything goes wrong in a COVID-laden year, and the team trying to figure out who they are without Julian Nagelsmann, everything goes wrong. So to see him come in, I saw after that first game, that first couple of, of training sessions, a more secure Leeds United. Second game goes horribly wrong. And then this game, I think, earns him some equity. Now, as an American, I've watched Bob Bradley go over and just get absolutely on at Swansea mm. City. Absolutely on. Sorry, Tim. Twice. Sorry, Tim. Times two. And and I think unfairly, but mm. I think the problem for Jesse was the same for Bob. And I said this to Miola when we were talking about the potential of Jesse going. Now you have Ted Lasso. You have American coaches, and you have the easy kind of joke amongst the group. I've seen it, and I've been a part of teams that when a coach starts talking, you have the and when that starts, and when kind of the leadership group within the team starts talking and muttering and joking and busting chops and getting underneath each other and winding them up, and one player doesn't play, and then he winds everybody else up, that's effectively what started to happen to Bob at Swansea City. Mm. Then the results don't go his way. For Jesse, this earns him equity amongst the group on top of the tactics, the acumen, the training sessions, the personal relationships that he's he's making, because all the good work behind the scenes doesn't matter until the results on the field. And I think this could be, and this is just me, this could be one of those monumental moments amongst the group that galvanizes them in a short term that gives them a building base going forward. And I'm, I'm excited for Jesse because I really do like him. I think he's very, very talented, but I don't want my like for Jesse as a person to skew what I'm seeing on the field. But 
I like I like the way Leeds play. I always have, and I do think his interpretation of the game does fit what this group of players has. Time for one final thing this week. We're not going to have time for Wolves, but good win for them again. I mean, they're much Aston Villa Wolverhampton Wanderers, the masters of Dunsethery, until they're until they're losing a game that is utter bastards all the way through, diving, cheating, lying all the way through. Suddenly they're losing and they get on the front foot, blah, 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 whatever. No time to enjoy Frank Lampard losing again at Everton, I'm afraid. We'll park that for next week. Not relegated since 1951. Massive, massive problems there. Seven home games left. They were relying on their home form to stay up, beaten by Wolves the weekend. I want to finish on this and get your view on this because I loved this this weekend. Uh, I don't talk about Liga very much because, (laughs) of course, I don't. Uh, But I loved this weekend when the teams were read out in the Paris Saint-Germain game against Bordeaux on Sunday. Mm. And they're reading the teams out and it's... um, Ashraf Hakimi, yay! Kylian Mbappe, yay! Lionel Messi, boo! Neymar, boo! Now, I don't pretend to know everything about the politics of Paris Saint-Germain, but I tell you what, that was football fans saying, we don't like what you two say about and have done to our club. You're lazy, you're overpaid, you don't want to be here, you're more than welcome to leave. And football fans, we started the program with it, we can end the show with it. You know, scarves are wrapped very tight. And you're loyal to your players, and you talk about your team, you support your team. There were Paris Saint-Germain fans before Nasser Al-Khalifi. There'll Mm. be Paris Saint-Germain fans afterwards. What fans want, whether you're owned by a sovereign wealth fund, or the local car dealership owner is 100% effort. And if you don't give us that, then you can f*** off. And that (laughs) is what the Paris Saint-Germain fans, sorry, Tim, were saying to these two players this weekend. Don't matter who you are, you can leave. And I loved it. And it's not just them. I don't know if you saw the banners from the ultras. I'm talking about Al-Khalifi and Leonardo as well, that they want them out. Um, The promise from Al-Khalifi and Qatari ownership was to win Champions League. This goes back with all the way to Zlatan and Cavani and all, you know, Laurent Blanc and all those guys. And they've come up short. And I know a bunch of PSG fans and my man Emilio down in Florida is, is the hardcore of the hardcore and calls in every single time. This was supposed to be the year. You, you think of Gina Wijnaldum, you think of Donnarumma, you think of Akimi, you think of Sergio Ramos, you think of Lionel Messi. Why wouldn't this be the year that PSG wins everything? The, as much as as much as we say you're at, as much as we say every single year, who's Champions League favorites? You're still at the mercy of the draw, and the complexity for PSG is the best opportunity they've had to win Champions League was 2020 COVID behind closed doors, no travel, no second leg, one-offs, and they came up short. Hmm. This was supposed to be the second phase of that. You've got the best players in the world. You've strengthened the club top to bottom with who you've brought in. You've spent monopoly money, monopoly money on free players and spending on players to put you over the top, and you came up short. And Kareem Benzema, my God, you are everything that we thought Eden Hazard and Gareth Bale were supposed to be 
post Cristiano Ronaldo at Real Madrid. Where do they go from here? I don't know because no. all it does, Tom, is is reset us back to what we always knew. They're going to dominate. They are going to have more possession than anyone else, and they're going to score a gajillion goals. But what happens when they get into the knockout rounds of Champions League and they come up against a team that is as fluent and as a dominant in possession as they are? Mm. And what's going to happen? And inevitably, they came up short again. So it's going to press the reset button, and I would I'm not sorry. be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, Tom, if you see a bunch of people, including the manager, out the door in the summer because Al Khalifi is going to throw his toys because once again, they're nowhere close to winning the Champions League title. And that has been from day one, the mm. full focus for what? 12 years now? 13 years? And that's the thing. Briefly on this, what I like about this is that I hope it's Paris Saint-Germain fans. And I don't know any personally great big fans that will tell me this, but I hope it says, well, you came here to win the Champions League and you didn't. Your experiment has failed. So if you could just leave, please, and we can have a better league. Because um, no one wants to see a procession and they've won all but one of the last X amount of years. They dominate the league. They win it when they fancy it. They, don't, they didn't really fancy it last year, so Leo won it. You know, what it says to me is, if you can't do the thing you came in to do, which is win the Champions League, we would much rather have a better league uh, than what we have got. They have killed French football, these owners. They have killed it. And even Paris Saint-Germain fans want it to be more competitive. That's what might happen with Man City in England. It might happen with Newcastle in England. In the end, this sort of thing must be stopped. And maybe this was the first step towards that. And frankly, Lionel Messi doesn't even deserve a private island at this point. Not even the Isle of Wight. Well, great to have Danny back, wasn't it? We really upped the swearing this week upon his return. And he is back next week as well for yet another Week in the Tackle podcast. You should leave us a review. Do a five-star rating. Reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, all very much welcome. If you give us a five-star review and write a good one, our friend Tim Horsey will read it out on next week's show if there is time in between editing out all the swearing. Week in the Tackle also available on the SXM app free for most subscribers. Download today and tap podcasts for video clips of the show and loads more. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SiriusXMFC. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's Program Director, Joe Tollison. SiriusXM Podcasts. <laughs>